We need to fix that calendar. Yeah. I was hoping you wouldn't say that because I was waiting to see how long it would take Rebecca to look at it and get all twitchy eyed. I've been twitchy eyed since I walked in here. Okay, cool. I can fix it after we record or I can pause and fix it now if you prefer. As long as it's fixed by the next time we gather. Next Tuesday on a regular basis now. <gasps> yes, I Forever. love hearing that. Oh, I've missed you guys so much. <laughs> of strange i'm ashley i'm tiffany and i'm rebecca thank you for joining us each week as we discuss the history mystery and theory of all things questionable odd and eerie hi friends hi you guys i could like reach out and touch them right now reach out and touch rebecca's face don't do that (laughs) please reach i will install plexiglass (laughs) this is not the kroger shopping check out and then even like going through the drive-thru i don't remember where i went i think maybe duncan they just have like this teeny tiny like enough to put your food in and out mm-hmm. of cut out they're not opening the window all the way anymore mm-hmm. weird times weird times weird times indeed but <laughs> but we're back together again we are and we've been good about respecting rebecca's need to not be touched it's been very difficult but ashley and i had a nice cuddle puddle to make up for mm-hmm. it so I watched awkwardly from the corner, drinking my margarita. That doesn't sound creepy <laughs> at all. <laughs> we reached new levels uh, of our relationship. Right. <laughs> Speaking of which, Tiffany, what are we learning about today? Oh, you guys, I'm excited. So you know how we have random ramblings with Rebecca? Indeed. Well, today we're going to have terrific tales with Tiffany. Oh, wow. I need alliteration for me. You do? Maybe I'll come up with one for you. Amazing Annihilations by Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right. So skydiving is like in the top five greatest experiences I've ever had. There was in no particular order, the birth of my child, marrying my husband, watching Celine Dion perform skydiving. And I have a placeholder for when I meet the Baxter Boys, which hasn't happened yet, but will. Fair. Neither of you have skydived, correct? Correct. Nope. Okay, cool. Well, it's amazing. And I think everyone should experience it. I mean, if wolves can skydive, why can't you? What? If wolves like can skydive, why not you? Why would wolves skydive? I have a feeling she's going to tell us. I am so glad you asked, Rebecca. (laughs) So back in March of 2019, I saw an article in my Facebook feed that got me really excited and I wanted to cover it, but I couldn't make a full episode out of it. Fast forward over a year and give me lots of time and self-isolation staring at walls. And I finally circled back to it. Ta-da! Yes. So Isle Royale National Park is located north of mainland Michigan, and it's almost touching Minnesota and Canada, but it's Michigan, I promise. It's here that biologists have started studying the dynamic between the wolf population and the moose population. So this island is uh, not inhabited by humans. It's just a national park. I have questions about these wolves, quote unquote, skydiving. I think it's going to be like your properly treated goat on top of a pedestal. These goats are getting dropped out of a plane. I'm not talking about goats anyway. Wolves. 
these wolves are getting dropped out of a plane. Can and you- they're observing the moose observe the falling wolves. <laughs> Saying, what the fuck? And running away. <laughs> All right. So they began observing this wolf-moose relationship back in 1958. And it still continues to this day. It's like the longest running observation of this kind. In 1980, the wolf population reached a high of 50. But by 2016, only two remained. Uh-oh. Poor moo- wolves. we'll cover them later (laughs) no we won't (laughs) Uh, so what happens when a predator is not around the The predators get more the (laughs) predators get more (laughs) an overpopulation of the prey takes over the land exactly (laughs) in this case the (laughs) predators who got more so in this case, the moose, and I checked the plural of moose is moose, not meese, because I wanted to say meese so bad. <laughs> the moose, who roughly eat the same amount a day as I do, started to eat more than their fair share. Of. Are we getting fat meese? We're getting overly fat meese that are destroying the land. Well, the overly large meese... So they started to eat more than their fair share and left the plant buffet low on stock for the remaining herbivores. So they had to uh, do something about it to protect the other animals who were slowly starving. To help with this, in September of 2018, scientists captured two wolves, one five-year-old male and one four-year-old female, from separate packs in the Grand Portage Reservation, which is um, where they believe the original canines migrated from, and airdropped them into Isle Royale. Worst date ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not skydiving. That's dropping animals from a plane. They were parachuting. Those poor wolves. And then what did they do with the parachute when they landed? They just left it attached to the wolves? It was a quick release, so the wolves could have died? Like, what? I have a lot of questions they about were, their treatment of these wolves. They were in, like, kennel crate things that were parachuted down. How do they get out of the kennel crate things? I didn't check on this one, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't check on this one, but I don't remember. No, I didn't check on this one. I can tell you about something later. Okay. For this one, I don't know. They did. They succeeded successfully got out, but I don't know how. So although these wolves had never seen moose before, the thought was that their instincts would kick in and they would know what to do. So like Tiffany and a donut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you know what? They were right. The new wolves joined the remaining two, formed a pack and hunted moose to keep the population under control. Uh, The end goal for them is to have 20 to 30 wolves on the island to restore the predator prey balance. To accomplish this, they'll continue to airdrop over the next few years. In March, when I saw that article, they had just dropped two additional wolves successfully. Okay, good. Successfully. Thanks for <laughs> clarifying that. So all of this was really cool to me because it meant that a minimum of four animals had gone skydiving, sort of. And it got me thinking. They did not go skydiving. They were dropped out of a plane with a parachute. Tomato, tomato. One's consensual. The other isn't. Consent is key, folks. <laughs> so it's got me thinking. Had other animals... Have they, Tiffany? Been pushed out of a plane? Oh, okay. My next note is, well, as I'm sure has already been pointed out to me by my lovely co-host, parachuting animals is nothing new. But it was not pointed out, so hey, parachuting animals is nothing new. (laughs) (laughs) Most commonly, dogs are used in military situations and can become quite accomplished divers. Paradogs, parachuting dogs, obviously. Obviously. Were most famously used by the 13th Lanchester Parachute Battalion on D-Day. 
the dogs were trained to locate mines, keep watch, and warn of enemies. Hey, good to know. Good doggos. Right? The U.S. also trained dogs to jump from planes during World War II, but the main goal of that was to aid downed airmen in isolated locations. So, talk about some good boys. Who's Who's the goodest boy? Who's the goodest boy? So, speaking of military uses, do you guys want to hear about how the U.S. planned to use bat bombs against Japan in World War II? Did you say bat bombs? I did. And it's not just like a giant thing from Lush they stuck in the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bath bomb, a bat bomb. Like a flying creature that's really cute and hangs upside down. I was really worried you're going to try echolocation for a second. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. This harebrained idea was the work of a dentist slash inventor who was pissed about Pearl Harbor. Wow. That's a lot of details. (laughs) (laughs) dentist who's pissed about pearl harbor Mm -hmm. slash inventor yes can't say i blame him and had a bat problem so dr little adams um (laughs) i know (laughs) it's spelled l-y-t-l-e so it's like lytle but i I got excited i was thinking more little atoms like bombs bath bath bombs So it's funny. Actually, <laughs> just, just through. I'm Bobby trying to Pitts. come up with a nuclear joke, and there's no reaction. So let's go. <laughs> oh God, this is amazing. Am I causing fission? Okay, he had an idea that basically boiled down to gluing bombs, thimble-sized <laughs> bombs, to the underside of hibernating bats, <laughs> loading them into a five-foot-long metal tube, and dropping them on unsuspecting villages in Japan. Kamikaze bats. It's not even kamikaze. It would just be like firecrackers. It would just explode the bat. Flying firecrackers. There would be no negative impact. Unless you're the bat. Yeah. Kind of sucks. That's what I meant to the people that they're dropping them on. It would just explode the bat. Yeah. These bomb carriers would hold 1,040 bats and 26 round trays. So that's 40 bats per tray. How do they even get that many bats? They're hibernating. Um, so he, Dr. Adams, was, I think, on a trip in Mexico or something and noticed all these bats in a cave. And he was fascinated by the way they flew and the way they hibernated and all this. So let's that attach was his bombs inspiration. to them and make suicide bats. Well, so once the bombs dropped to an altitude of 4,000 feet or 1,219 meters, a parachute would open up and the sides of the bomb carrier would kind of open up. The bats would theoretically fly out, post up in an attic or any dark place they could find, and then boom. What triggers the bomb? I guess it's a timed bomb, but this would destroy everything in their path. It's not a very big bomb. It's a thimble-sized bomb, but it's a powerful bomb. Firecracker. Yeah. <laughs> the good news is the U.S. would never approve of testing this out as a viable option, right? Don't Doesn't sound very <laughs> promising. <laughs> Wrong. President Roosevelt passed this idea along to the powers that be, and work began to make this a reality. I read somewhere that Dr. Adams was friends with Roosevelt's wife, and that's how he got the idea for it. Mm, must have been pretty good friends right so i have blah blah stuff happened blah blah things too long didn't read i just learned what tldr means (laughs) so i'm using it everywhere oh my god (laughs) basically once the navy took over the project was assigned codename project x-ray and by may of 1944 and not project echo come on right i think they probably already had a project echo but yeah that's still by may of 1944 after two years and two million dollars in research 
one million bombs were scheduled to be made. They may not have known that about bats at that point. In 1944? That they used echolocation? I'm pretty sure they did. Echolocation was discovered in 1940. So they knew this in 44. Well, it may not have been uh, mutual. Unfortunately for Dr. Adams, another bomb was being worked on that might be of greater use in the war. You don't say. The atom bomb. Any hope of Dr. Adams' creation seeing frontline action was dashed. But technically, bats did parachute during testing. So there you go. Another case of parachuting animals. Oh, the case that they were unparachuted. I'm like, why would a bat need to parachute? (laughs) They have wings. They do. Thank you. (laughs) They're pretty good at that whole flying thing. Just FYI. Now, skydiving is fun and all, but sometimes it's done to save a life rather than as an adrenaline-fueled pastime or, you know, to kill lots of unsuspecting civilians. Whatever. For example, escape capsules and aircrafts. Very important, right? Yes. Well, when they were creating escape capsules, they needed to test them out. Oh, no. Don't worry. They used humans to test them until the fatality started to pile up. Um, this is getting worse. It's mm, fine. I don't know. Willing humans, non-willing animals. Well, okay, so here we go. Did you know that black bears' internal organs are arranged similarly to humans? I do now. Well, apparently someone in the Air Force in 1962 knew that as well. So when they started testing... Ex- Dwight Schrute. <laughs> <laughs> bears beats Battlestar Galactica. Also, what do their internal organs being organized the same way have to do with anything? Because the outside of them is very different. The theory was if you could successfully do it, you could um, figure out the impact to the organs. even without- Or start on a path to figuring out how it would affect the organs. Okay. So when they started testing escape capsules at supersonic speeds and they didn't want any more human casualties they switched to black bears on march 21st 1962 yogi became the first living creature to be successfully ejected from a supersonic convair b-58 escape capsule at 35,000 feet or 10,668 meters flying at mach 1.3 which is roughly 170 miles per hour or 1,400 kilometers per hour uh ma'am Huh. 1.3 is 997 miles per hour. Okay, well, I have my source cited below, so they were wrong, but it's fine. As what is say i'm like people can reach that in their car or we're not breaking. 870 miles per hour i thought you said 100 yeah no 870 sorry i thought you said oh, 100 okay. and no. so, okay that makes a little more sense because yes. you said approximately mach one okay, yeah that sorry makes more sense roughly 870 miles per hour or 1400 kilometers per it hour it sounded like you said 100 oh sorry yeah no 800 so. okay okay well the rocket booster shot him 225 feet or 69 meters above the jet and seven minutes and 49 seconds later yogi landed unharmed on the ground unharmed except for like insane ptsd and the poor bear probably had a heart attack well he didn't have it for long because unfortunately he was put down to have his organs examined afterwards oh Uh, next note this was sad and i'm sorry thanks diff on a lighter note let's talk about beavers are you bringing up the ouija broads I am. I first heard this on the Ouija Broads. So 
1948, McCall, Idaho, beavers and humans were not on the best of terms. As people started moving further west into the beaver's land, they started realizing that the beavers didn't care who was in their space. They just continued to do what they do best. Unfortunately, that meant quite a bit of destruction to the homes being built in that area. Idaho Fish and Games had a plan, though. Actually, Elmo Header had a plan. He knew that the beavers could be happy and prosperous in the Chamberlain Basin, and the McCall residents could go about their happy lives critter-free. But how to get them there? A beaver parade. No? Oh, the imagery. Uh, No. The initial proposal was horses. Since the area they were being relocated to didn't have roads, they thought they could use horses. And this is a quote from Transplanting Beavers, a report by (laughs) Elmo W. Hedder in the Journal of Wildlife Management. So, quote, Horses and mules become spooky and quarrelsome when loaded with a struggling, odorous pair of live beavers. These problems, Same. <laughs> these problems involve further handling and too frequently result in a loss of beavers. So horses were out. In 1948, what major event had recently ended around this time? So wait, they took four years to try and figure out this problem? All of this is in 1948. Oh, 1944 okay. was another thing we were talking about. Okay. I was like, why could they have not just trained the horses to be around the beavers? <laughs> No. In 1948, what was something like super major that within the past like World War II? Yeah. So Hedder wanted to use the surplus of parachutes left over from the war to drop the beavers into the wilderness. Was he a madman or a genius? He's batshit. (laughs) Sorry. He's guano. Well, considering this worked, I'll say he's a genius. Stop parachuting innocent animals. He started testing out crates to use for the beavers that could open without the help of man. One idea involved crates held together with rope that the beavers could chew through, but there was the possibility that they would chew through them while in the air, and that would have not ended well. At least he's thinking about their livelihood. Oh, yes. I actually kind of like this guy. He was able to create a container that would open upon impact, and he tested it with weights numerous times to ensure it worked before testing it out with an animal. Uh, Once they were confident it would work, they recruited Geronimo to help them out. Geronimo was a male beaver and he's super cute. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't recruit him. They took him from his home and put him in a box. Hopefully with a bow tie. I did not see a bow tie in the video and yes, there will be a link to the video on the blog. (laughs) Geronimo made many jumps on a landing field to ensure this would work. That poor beaver. (laughs) Actually, so this is another quote from Transplanting Beavers. Quote, Poor fellow. He finally became resigned, and soon as we approached him, he would crawl back into his box, ready to go <laughs> afloft again. So he and three lady beavers were the first to be relocated. Are you okay, Ashley? You can't make a whole housewife, but you can train a beaver. Sorry. <laughs> You're cute. <laughs> So he and three lady beavers were the first to be relocated. In all, 76 beavers were relocated and only one lost its life during this. He's the nods. Yeah, he seemed like a nice guy, that Elmo header. Now for the one that proves I shouldn't run the world because I probably would have done something similar. Oh, Jesus. In the early 1950s, Borneo in Indonesia was being overwhelmed by an outbreak of malaria. 
Luckily, the World Health Organization had a plan. They sprayed DDT, an insecticide that is now banned in many countries, all over the infected area to kill the mosquitoes. And it worked. The mosquitoes died and cases of malaria began to decline. Unfortunately, the quality of people's houses started to decline as well as roofs began to collapse. Turns out, the DDT used to kill mosquitoes also killed a parasitic wasp that controlled the population of thatch-eating caterpillars. Insects killed by DDT were eaten by geckos, geckos were eaten by cats, cats began to die off, and rats began to rule the area. Rats also bring plague and typhus. So, got rid of the malaria. I don't think I've ever heard someone say those two words so cheerfully. (laughs) Plague and typhus. Come on, kids. It's story time. Well, to correct this little flub, the UK's Royal Air Force dropped anywhere from 23 to 14,000 cats, depending on the source. 23 to 14,000 cats who were dying because of the geckos. They wanted to con- use the cats to control the rats. Yes. This so, is like um, a bad kid story time thing. Right. The cats ate the rats and the rats ate the... Three to 14,000? Mm-hmm. Just depending Oddballing. on the source. So uh, as you can probably tell from the wide range mentioned, accounts on this story are varied. I did see a link to an ad requesting 30 cats to control a rat problem, but I had to agree to terms before viewing it, and I didn't, so (laughs) maybe take this one with a grain of salt. Are you the reason we had to reset our passwords recently? No, I am (laughs) not. No, it popped up and it was like, great, uh, you can view this article if you agree to our terms and conditions. And I was like, close out of everything, shut down, restart. (laughs) What have I done? I've gone too far. Okay, so the earliest story I discussed today was in World War II. Parachutes in some form or another date back to the Renaissance period. And parachutes as we know them today were invented roughly 1783. So I guarantee animals have been falling from the sky long before World War II. Speaking of animals falling from the sky, are we talking about frogs now? Oh, you know about this? Oh. No, it's fine. It's fine. I've got you, boo. Don't worry. Speaking of animals falling from the sky, did you guys know it's not unheard of for it to literally rain animals? Just like any. I know where this is going and I'm not happy. I tried to keep the frog mentions very minimum. Don't worry. Okay, I may have lied about that. Reports of animal rain stretch back centuries, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it. So this next section I'm going to tell you about, I'll have a start quote and end quote so that you know because it's a long section, but I pulled it straight from a National Geographic article that's mentioned in the blog because I couldn't sum it up any better. So, quote, water spouts form as violent storm clouds swirl above large bodies of water. These clouds form a tornado-like whirlwind called a vortex that dips into the ocean, lake, or pond. Water spouts can spin up to 100 miles per hour or 160 kilometers per hour and may pull up small objects in their funnel, water, pebbles, small aquatic animals. Strong winds called updrafts may also pull animals into their swirling vortices. Updrafts can sweep up much larger animals than water spouts, like traveling birds and bats as well as frogs snakes and insects as water spouts and updrafts move over land they lose their swirling energy the storm clouds that form the water spouts are forced to dump their heavy loads the heaviest objects are dumped first and the lightest objects usually simple raindrops are dumped last this explains why reports of animal rain usually describe only one type of animal raining down a cloud will dump all objects of a similar weight at the same time like fish first followed by insects followed by rain end quote makes sense right uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Don't like it. 
centuries ago, I'm going to pronounce this name really wrong and I apologize, Heraclides Limbus, a Greek philosopher who lived in the second century BC, wrote, quote, in Paeonia and Dardania, it has, they say, before now reigned frogs. And so great has been the number of these frogs that the houses and the roads have been full of them. <laughs> so something that I thought was interesting, a lot of places where I was reading about this, people mentioned the 10 plagues mentioned in the Bible. Uh-huh. And one of them is Ashley's Nightmare. Just one thing mentioned in the Bible. It's my nightmare. <laughs> so I'm going to give the uh, the Bible verse. Again, not an expert in this area at all, but I, th- I think it's Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Well, the book's correct. Yeah. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. So there were quite a few places discussing whether or not it meant raining frogs and if animal rain was a sign of plague. And I thought that was really cool, but I didn't have time to go into those deep dives. So just putting that out there for you to ponder on. So that's ancient mentions of animal rain. There is a city in Honduras that has annual fish rain, usually between May and June. And that is like currently going on and i need to mention that so when i saw that i was like oh this is cool and it mentioned like some name and i was like oh i misread it and assumed that was the name of a festival held in celebration Uh, of this (laughs) annual fish rain and i got so excited to be able to cover another festival but no that's just how they say fish rain in honduras Ah. but there is annual or there is animal rain still currently going on so that's cool is it (laughs) Are you you sure about that? I mean, it's something. It's interesting. It is. It really is. So while the water spout and updraft theory is most common, it's important to note that many meteorologists don't subscribe to this belief. I didn't dive too far into why they don't believe this because I started researching last night and had too many rabbit holes to go down. So sorry. But I did read somewhere that one reason for this is how far inland animals fall or that the animals that fall aren't native to that area sometimes. So they think it's something else going on. What else could explain it? Ghost with the basket full of fish. Oh my gosh. That would be phenomenal. Actually, they said the fish that fall there in Honduras aren't native to that area. And I think it was National Geographic who was there one year while this was happening and they were trying to figure out what was going on. Said that the fish were all blind. So they thought something about like the annual rainfall or how wet the ground was, was like bringing the fish up from the ground or like up from deeper parts of the water that they normally don't go. That's why they were blind because they don't need the, there's no light down there for them to see. And I don't know. I didn't So they weren't along. actually raining. They were coming up from the ground like crawfish. Yeah. So they say it's like raining fish, but they all just like wake up and the streets are lined with fish and gross. <laughs> <laughs> My thoughts exactly. So lastly, I wanted to explore where the expression raining cats and dogs came from. Because I was like, if animals are falling from the sky on a pretty regular occurrence, maybe some cats and dogs did too. And that's where the expression came from. I was wrong. Well, that's good. (laughs) Turns out there are a few theories, but nothing concrete. So the next part is pulled straight from the History Extra article linked in the blog because I finished my notes on my lunch break today. So the rest of what I'm about to say comes straight from that article listed on the blog. So the phrase first appeared in the Welsh collection of poems from Welsh poet Henry Vaughan. 
1651, where he referred to a roof sturdy enough to survive, quote, dogs and cats raining in shower, end quote. The next year, English playwright Richard Brom wrote The City Wit that included, quote, it shall rain dogs and polecats, end quote. Polecats was a common name for them back mm-hmm. at that time. There are also two theories suggesting that the renowned Irish satirist, he writes satire. What is he called? Satirist? Satire? Satirist? Satirist? Um, sure. The renowned Irish guy Jonathan Swift <laughs> <laughs> made the phrase popular. The renowned Irish author of satire. Yes. In 1738, in his complete collection of genteel and ingenious conversation, a character is afraid it might, quote, rain cats and dogs, end quote. It's fairly likely that Swift's satire, regardless of whether he invented the term, was responsible for its following popularity. In 1710, Swift wrote the poem City Shower, which included an image of dead animals left in the city streets after heavy floods. Not that this really answers why cats and dogs of all animals, but there are four possible origins of why domestic pets became synonymous with torrential downpour. And they are, theory one, cats and dogs used to cuddle into thatched roofs during storms, only to be washed out during heavy rain. Considering how a well-maintained thatched roof is actually fairly waterproof, the animals would have to be cowering on the outside, so this wouldn't have been a great hiding place in a storm. This theory makes for a nice story, but it's probably apocryphal. I googled that earlier. Can't remember what it means. A story or statement of doubtful authenticity, although widely circulated as being true. Theory number two. (laughs) The first two theories I'm not a big fan of, but whatever. So theory number two. In Norse mythology, Odin, the father god responsible for storms, was often depicted with dogs and wolves representing wind. According to folklore, witches rode their brooms during storms, accompanied by their black cats. So that image took on the connotation of heavy rains for sailors. Odin and witches could be responsible for the expression. Theory three which is the one I like. Actually, I like three and four. Okay, theory three. We may have the words entirely wrong. Instead, we should be saying katadoxa. This Greek expression means contrary to experience or belief, which an actual storm featuring falling cats and dogs certainly would be. Seems like a little bit of a stretch there, but okay. That's fine. And then the final theory. Finally, we could be using a derived form of the now obsolete word katadoop. In Old English, this means a cataract or waterfall. Version of this words exist in many ancient languages like ancient Greek and refer to a cataract of the river Nile. So when they say it's raining cats and dogs, we might be suggesting that it's raining waterfalls. That seems more on the nose. Yeah. So that is where that ends. And those are my notes. Boom. <laughs> the end. Flying Boom. aminals with right? bombs and breakable crates. Yeah. So haven't you always wondered how many animals skydive? No. No. Oh. Well, because that's not animals skydiving. That's animals being thrusted out of planes. I mean, yes, but that's sad. So I prefer my view. It is sad. And you just did an entire episode on it, ma'am. Well, I'm sorry for that. You remember (laughs) earlier when we got a subject recommendation and I got so excited because I had payback for you? Mm Mm-hmm. Is it going to be beautiful? Just keep that in mind. Sweet. Can't wait. We've covered a lot of animal cruelty. Which is weird because my two hard no's are animal cruelty and child cruelty. 
Obviously not. Yeah. Talking about dogs jumping off bridges. Talking about goats being thrust on pedestals and can't leave and they're tortured. Bat bombs. Bat bombs. And then the kids in the fire on Christmas Eve. Whatever. Who cares about that? <laughs> we don't know that that's actually what happened. It's not. But it kind of might be. No, they didn't perish in that fire. That's why I was okay no, with the covering it. No, the dad sold them, remember? No. The dad <laughs> did not. Anyway, so. <laughs> well, that was interesting. Thank you. I'm not going to say that. I enjoyed hearing about the poor defenseless little critters being thrown out of airplanes, but. Well, I know one of our listeners will, looking at you, Rucklin. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, because he didn't get to name them before he thrusted <laughs> them out of aircraft. Sarah. Well, good job, ma'am. Thank you. I'm proud of you for having it together. Woohoo. <laughs> Rebecca's awfully quiet. No thoughts. No thoughts. Okay. Well, damn. All righty then. Well, on that note, remember, friends. Everyone has something that they find odd. Let us tell you why it's not. Or is. This time it's is. <laughs> this time it is odd. I don't know if odd's the word I would use. Cruel. Unusual. If you have any questionable topics you'd like us to discuss, you can share them with us on any of our social medias. Links can be found on our website, theladiesestrange.com, or you can email them to us at theladiesestrange at gmail.com. I stand by the fact that the beaver one wasn't cruel, but... It was the best out of the ones you covered. Okay, perfect. What do I say? Don't think we're doing it great. No, that's not where I start. Stay in your lane, ma'am. You asked. Don't forget, (laughs) ma'am, to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you think we're doing a great job and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash the ladies of strange. Keep it strange, lovelies. Bye. Bye. Go hug a fluffy creature and don't throw them out of moving transportation always good (laughs) solid advice bye guys